We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. podcast it is monday november 21st uh, i was just looking at nba birthdays today as i do every day you know just to check in good way to start the day and boy do we have a murderer's row of birthdays on november 21st josh boone john lucas the third olden polonese larry sanders i'm gonna say that one again larry sanders the larry sanders Strohmile swift that, that's not to mention other guys like Reggie Lewis, Cedric Maxwell, Mike Batiste, Chris Singleton. Um, I, I can tell already that you don't find this as interesting as I do, but I had no idea that Larry Sanders and Strohmile Swift, two of my probably seven favorite players of all time, share a birthday. Nick Whalen and DJ Trainer here. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I, I care a little bit about Larry Sanders because I'm assuming he's partying hard, and obviously he's going to take his he's birthday. focused on. on his music. Is he 25? Let's see. He was born in 1988, so that would make him 28 already. Wow, yeah. yeah 28. He'd be 28. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess people forget he did play a few years in college. Um, yeah, I mean, there, it seems like we're probably due for a new Larry Sanders might be coming back rumor any time now, right? Like He needs like, money. Well, there's that alone, and then just the fact that we're just literally due. Like, that's, that's kind of how the cycle has worked. It's been a few months. Nobody said anything. Like, he might... He'll probably tweet something in a couple of weeks, and then people will take that to mean that he's like signing a contract somewhere. Like, weren't the Mavericks interested in like August, and then that just completely faded away? Let's jump into this. Like, who would actually need him? Let's just say he's just as good as he was before. I think the teams that want a player like that already have a player like that. So Atlanta has Dwight Howard. Utah has Rudy Gobert. The teams that need uh, a rim protector, a big slow guy that's going to slow you down on offense, they are like the teams that want them already have them. I'm not so sure. We've had Al Jeffersons. We have Greg Monroe's. Their minutes are in the single digits over the last couple yeah, I mean, weeks. He's not like he's not like he's that. not like no, that. I, I agree. He's like I the agree. opposite of Greg Monroe. I mean, I think he. Obviously, I mean, people like Larry Sanders was pretty good at certain things, you know, in the game of basketball, blocking shots, rebounding when he wanted to, um, you know, steal rate for a center was pretty decent. 
Uh, but I mean, he was also, you know, basically like a 47 to 48% shooter for his career, uh, which isn't great for someone who, you know, rarely attempted shots outside of the, the painted area. He always struggled to kind of control passes as a role man. Um, I can't believe we're spending the, the start of the podcast talking about Larry Sanders, but, um, I mean, at 28, it's kind of, the time's kind of ticking for him, right? Like if you're, if you're Larry Sanders and you're hypothetically trying to get back in on this, I think once you turn 30, like the intrigue is gone, you know, it's like, if you're signing, like Larry Sanders was never that good when he was a consistent NBA player in his mid to early twenties. Like, I just don't see like signing Larry Sanders now is like, he's not going to get a whole lot better. He's 28. You know, I just don't see the upside. Good thing nobody's going to do it because we're just talking hypothetically. Yeah, I mean Marce- Marcelo Huertas made made a uh, a comeback similar to that. So any anything is possible. I think you got to be a white guard to pull that move. Like Prigioni did it, Sergio Rodriguez is doing it. But who would, who would be the team? Let's pick a team. Like what's the, the perfect Nets or the Kings? Okay. Right? Well, the Kings, I mean, the Kings kind of have enough centers. Enough where Boogie Cousins is a, you know, he, he feels like he's had enough centers on his team. That's true. The Nets, you know, they've the got they've got Bert Lopez. Justin Hamilton's not bad um, as a stretch five. The yeah. only way this would ever really work is if he went to, like, the Spurs or, like, I think even the Cavs are close to that point now where they could handle something like that. The Cavs? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, throw Larry Sanders on the Kings with, with Ty Lawson oh and Matt Barnes gosh. and those guys. Like, let's see how that works out. Uh, yeah, the Cavs could handle anybody because they could try them out and spit them back out if it doesn't work and they're going to be just fine. It's not like they're a Larry Sanders away from making it work, but maybe Larry Sanders gives them that little yep. extra edge against a certain lineup here or there that you know would really make them worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to find a team where maybe that would be a good fit. but uh, Is there a good fit for Stromile Swift? I don't think so. I think that time is come and gone. Yeah, he's 37 today. Former number two pick. Uh, he once gave me a headband at a preseason game. Oh, yeah. Probably still a top three highlight of my life at the time. And for many years, it was probably the number one highlight of my life. Um, but I'm I'm very glad that we got to spend time talking about both these guys. Let's talk about current contemporary NBA players. Um, we can talk a little bit about last night's games uh, the, you know, with the Packers playing a, a Sunday night game. I was I was focused on that. Didn't get to catch any of these games live, but you know was still following along uh, as we do most nights. The stories: Russell Westbrook. Another triple-double uh, as OKC loses an OT. He hit a big three to force that overtime period. Uh, ultimately, they fall to a Paul George-less uh, Pacers team. The Kings look like they were about to head to overtime with Toronto. Uh, and one of, kind of one of the odder technicality type of plays that you'll see, uh, what looked to be a very clear game-tying three, uh, kind of somewhere between like a pull-up three and the heave. I mean, what was Ross like? 35 feet from the basket, 30 feet from the basket. Yeah, he was solidly uh, behind the three-point line. Right, a deep, deep three from Terrence Ross goes down as time expires. Um, it was later reviewed. The clock, it turns out, had started a few tenths of a second late, and, and basically they wiped off the what would have been the game-tying shot, and the Kings won in regulation. Right, and so obviously you know, we found a loophole in the system mm-hmm. where they had to kick it back uh, to Secaucus and they had to like kind of manually time the time it took. But and the weird thing here is they what happened is when DeMarcus Cousins tipped it to when Ross let it go, too much time had expired. I think it was like two point five seconds and there was two point four right. left. The big issue here is though, is that Ross would have he looked at the clock and shot it according to how much time was left, you know, yeah. within that short time. But the the kind of train of thought here is that if he would have seen there was a tenth of a second less or something like that. It wasn't much difference. That's the thing. Like it wasn't yeah. like the clock was egregiously late. Like it was not something you would have noticed in real time at all. Right. Yeah. And I yeah, and I actually kind of think that the clock operator did hit it right when he when well, we should probably cousins. explain if you haven't seen the highlight, which you likely have at this yeah. point, what happened was, you know, it's a side out of bounds play. Uh, Ross, you know, cuts from, I guess, from the three-point line toward the half-court line, and as the pass is made, DeMarcus Cousins gets a hand on it. Um, So, obviously, you know, first contact, the clock should start. The clock, basically what the NBA is saying is the clock didn't start until Ross touched the ball, so he kind of had to go a step or two out of his way to go get it after the deflection. Uh, But, again, I, I mean, I tried to look closely, like, keeping, you know, DeMarcus Cousins' hand and the clock in, you know, in the same frame, and it's close. I mean, I I was surprised, I guess, having watched it a few times that, that they made that decision. But, you know, I mean, it's coming from the replay center where they have certainly more tools than we do. So a lot of people say, just redo it. Like, 
it's not really fair that time was actually expiring. Although when I look back at it, I think like that happens all the time, but because yeah. it doesn't come down to a tenth of a second, nobody cares. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is like the Kings players were right there. You know, I mean, they're they're right in front of the scores table. Like when they saw the shot go down, nobody, you know, usually you would right. react or something like yeah. they they just thought, okay, he made it. We're going to overtime. Like nobody was complaining. I don't. I'm wondering if. You know, someone on the sideline said something, or if that came directly from the NBA. Yeah, I mean, if we rewind any play like this, but there's five minutes left in the game, or 12, or anything, or in the quarter, then you know it, you're going to see this a lot. You can only press a button so fast before right. before time starts to, especially something where where it deflects. When you know how many times does a player actually deflect an inbounds pass? Like one out of every ten. It just doesn't happen that often. So I think that like the trigger finger was actually somewhat pretty quick, considering right. the time started to click before Ross even touched the ball. And I think that's all fair. They should have just let either they should have either just let whatever happened on the court happen. Or they should have just redone it entirely. Either way, I, I think that a loophole in the system was found, and we're going to be talking about it for the next week. And, of course, here's the, here's the flip side of that. Sacramento goes on to win, and so the Kings are salty. After the game, Kyle, Kyra, Kyle Lowry said, no comment, no comment. But, the I mean, the Raptors ended up having just the same amount of chance to win that game in those last five minutes of overtime than the Kings did. Right. So it was like, it's tough to say that there was a great injustice here. Um, but certainly a loophole in the system was found. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, it's. I think we'll, everybody will forget about this in a couple of days. Sure. It won't be a big deal. But Raptors now eight and five. Kings, uh, very Kings like five and nine. Uh, elsewhere last night, the Jazz uh, lost to the Nuggets shorthandedly, uh, but still uh, a little bit of a disappointing start. Obviously, the the injuries to Hayward to start the year, and now Favors has been out. Um, George Hill is out uh, as, as well for Utah. Like, that's been a big part of this, but still, I mean, seven and eight, I don't think is, you know, normally for the last like five years, the Jazz being at 500 right now would be like, okay, it wouldn't be great. Uh, but this year, I think, you know, they probably expected to be maybe 10 and five, 11 and four through 15 games. Well, here's the thing is that their they're five traditional starters, if everyone was healthy, have played a combined 12 minutes, I think this whole season they just they just aren't healthy and they've still scratched together yep. almost a 500 record that's that to me says that this team is actually pretty good um so i'll wait until they're completely healthy but you know what the the the, the sad thing or the reality part about it is that um they're never going to be completely healthy that's just not how professional sports work mm-hmm. so you have to look at that somebody who just now is healthy for the first time will barton came back and played in this game started as shooting guard only played 19 minutes but that ankle injury ended up being you know actually somewhat significant to the point yeah. where you know this is a traditional amount of minutes he's going to see coming back from this injury in the long run he's somebody that c- could take 30 minutes per game whether he's coming off the bench or he's in the starting lineup uh nice to see him back yeah absolutely it, it's uh it's interesting because I think when that injury first happened now three weeks ago, basically it mm-hmm. was day to day. Like he thought he could like play the next game, like two days later. And, you know, he and ends then up missing we- what nine games. Yeah. And a week after that, he's just like, man, this is not, it's not good at all. And so it was, yeah. it was a rough, it was a longer situation than anybody expected, but he's back and, you know, he's going to factor in. Mm-hmm. And uh, last night after the game, you know, the team said, this is the best cohesive game we've played together so far. Um, so certainly something to look for moving forward, but I still think this team has a lot of figuring out right. to do and maybe some thinning out to do as well mm-hmm. still. I, I do wonder about Utah sometimes. I mean, again, they they're missing you know two, two, two to three starters depending you know night to night. Uh, but like, I just don't know. There are a lot of teams that can miss some of their ancillary players and still you know be all right. I mean, this Nuggets team is not great, and they got you know blown off the floor really. I mean, it was a, a twelve point game at the half. They never really got back into it in the second half. Um, they just have that problem of like Gordon Hayward's really good, Rudy Gobert's really good, Rodney Hood's really good, but can any of those guys really carry a team? I don't think so. Well, here's they they were missing two starters, Nick. That's too much. I mean, like even for any team, pick any other team. I mean, pick the Warriors if you want. Take two starters off there. They're going to struggle to beat another professional team, and especially when we're talking about an above average jazz jazz team, but not an elite jazz team. Of course, they're going to struggle. I think that's only fair. They're missing Derek Favors and George Hill. They had to start a second-year player and another second-year player who, by the way, haven't really proven that they even belong in the league or belong. That well, that's what I'm sh- saying. Like they're, maybe they're just not quite as deep as we think. I don't know. I mean, they lost but the last take, game Favors played. I, I mean, take LeBron and Kyrie off the Cavaliers. Take Steph and, and take Kyrie, Durant off. I mean, if you pick any team and take two legitimate starters off the team, then they're going to struggle. Yeah, but if you take, like, 
I don't know, Kevin Love and Iman Shumpert off of Cleveland, they don't just go in the tank, you know? I mean, they've scored 100 points once in their last four. Favors Fav- played in one of those games. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not out on Utah by any means. I think they'll be yeah. just fine. But there's also – this happens every year with Favors. And, yeah, he's like he's good when he plays. But, like, he's he's basically been day-to-day with, like, a sore back for, like, two and a half years. I like this because, you know what, usually I take the negative point of view and you always take the positive point of view. So I like this out of you. But I, I, I think that having five – above average players in your starting five can actually be seen as a benefit and not uh, a detriment because if you lose that one guy, that crown jewel of your lineup, you're screwed. Yeah. But if you look at a jazz team, uh, you know what? You know They still have three solid other starters out there to the point you know you can't quite say it's it's their whole lineup. Like you take John Wall off the Wizards and they're even worse than they already are, yeah. which seems hard to fathom. Um, you take George Hill and, and Derek Favors out and this team this team can still somewhat function, but it's gonna be hard to win with, you know, taking two starters off of any team. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think in the long run they'll still be fine. Uh so we talked a little bit before the podcast, just kind of glancing at the the playoff pictures and you know, it's still so so early that this stuff is all gonna change probably, you know, pretty drastically when it's all said and done, but it's still kind of fun to look at, you know, if the season ended today, if for some reason the NBA was like, you know, it's been almost a month. We're just going to call <laughs> this one off and start the playoffs. We've seen enough tomorrow. Yeah, this is it. We, we, we kind of know what you guys are about. Um, you know, the West, I think would look about like we expect it. You know, I think the exception is Utah who it would currently be out. Uh, they're at, they're at seven and eight again. They would be the nine. Uh, the East, it changes every single night, really, because there are you know three six-win teams, two seven-win teams, two eight-win teams, two nine-win teams, and you know a whole bevy of four or five-win teams. So, I mean, you you can you know not check the standings for a week, and the team that was number two last week could be number eight this week. Uh, but the Western Conference: the Clippers at one, the Warriors at two, the Spurs at three. Probably not the order we expected. Uh, although it's worth noting that the Clippers have played one more game than the Warriors. They're both two-loss teams. Um, but the top of the West looks exactly like we expected. Those three teams have really separated themselves already from the Memphises, the Houstons, OKC, Portland, and then the Lakers, who would technically be the eight right now. So I, I think if you look at both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, it's 3 p.m. Central Time on Monday. There's only one change I think that's actually going to happen in terms of who makes the playoffs, who doesn't, and that's that the Jazz get in over the Lakers. Um, I don't think that's too too surprising on the Western Conference because that would leave off teams uh, like the Nuggets, like the Kings, like the Timberwolves. I, I think people are okay with that. People are certainly coming to grips with the Timberwolves are not nearly as good a team as people thought they were. Only won 16 games last year, people. Lakers, you know, solid, solid improvement, but can they hang out or hang on over a Jazz team? Don't think so. Switching it over to the East, where maybe this is more of a controversial statement, Nick, is that um, the Knicks slip in, Pacers, Celtics, Raptors, Bulls, Hornets, Hawks, Cavaliers, that's your top eight. Teams that would be left off, the Magic, the Pistons, the Bucks, and the Heat. I think probably the most contentious one is the Pistons. They've been without Reggie Jackson, but I don't know that uh, they're Reggie Jackson away from getting over the hump. More importantly, a team like this is prone to always being devoid of one of their starters for how much Van Gundy plays each of those guys. They just play too much, and then when you take one of those guys completely out of the lineup, it's just too hard to overcome because the backup guy just is only averaging like 12 minutes per game. Mm -hmm. It just messes up the whole funk so I think that this is kind of indicative of what we're going to see at the end of the year I, d- I don't know if you disagree with that if you, if you do I, I'm, I'm obviously curious to hear but I, I think I think that's a fair statement yeah I, I still think Boston probably climbs a little bit um, you know but I mean Charlotte looks like they're a legit you know top three top four team yeah to be clear I didn't I didn't mean like the actual oh, places yeah. they are now just the top eight teams uh, looking at both sides mm-hmm. but I, I, I do think that it is still pretty close though yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think two through six or seven could really all be in just about any order when it's all said and done. I mean, if, if Paul Millsap were to go down at all for Atlanta, they, I mean, they would plummet. I think uh, same would go for, you know, a Kemba Walker or even a guy like Nick Batum for Charlotte. Um, Chicago, I still, I mean, we're, we're 14 games in and they, they still look like a very competent basketball team. Uh, they look like a playoff team. That's for sure. I mean, are they the fourth best team in the East? We'll see. Um, but you know, they, they could kind of be to me, like Charlotte, Chicago, Toronto, Boston are going to be like last year. How was it? Four teams that were all tied. It was basically those same teams. It was th- yeah. Right. Miami, Miami throw Miami, Miami in, in there. there. Yeah. I think, I think Indiana mm. and they were the seven. They ended up playing at Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, the Knicks are like this 
conference's version of the Lakers, right? Where right. where it's like I don't think it's totally crazy to think they could stay in. You know, I mean, I think the Lakers too. It's like they, you know they haven't they haven't like world beating anyone, but they've looked competent enough over, in my opinion, is a large enough sample that if they, you know, if something goes wrong in Utah, I think I like the Lakers more than I like Denver, Sacramento, you know, Minnesota, maybe not on paper, but the way Minnesota's defending, sure. Um, but, but back to the East, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think the Knicks fall out. I think Detroit, you know, does kind of make its way back up there. Um, Sorry, I just had watched Nigel Hayes make a terrible behind the back pass attempt that was a turnover. Um, but I, I like I, I totally agree with you that Reggie Jackson, um, they're you know the Pistons aren't like okay we get Reggie Jackson back now we're a contender in the East. Right. But I do think they're a Reggie Jackson away from you know being a playoff team if that makes sense. Maybe not a championship contender, but a playoff team. Right, and so the the one point of contention where I'm I'm, I'm open to is that maybe the Knicks don't make the playoffs and that. That shouldn't take anybody by surprise. But I, I think when I'm stacking up the Knicks against the Pistons, I might actually give the Knicks the advantage just because, uh, no, this particular group doesn't have playoff experience or getting to the playoff experience. Um, but they do have some veterans that have been there before and kind of know what like that that last quarter of the season really takes to, to get you over the edge. And, of course, I'm talking about Carmelo Anthony. I'm talking about Noah. And, I mean, to a certain extent, you could even throw in Derrick Rose in that conversation. I mean, say what you want about him, but he was a leading teams that made it to the playoffs, and, and he kind of knows what it takes. Whereas you look at a Pistons team, and I don't know that that particular type of experience is there um, that's going to be much needed. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't want to spoil anything or, like, um, completely not put any emphasis on the rest of the season, but I think the standings, how they are right now, I'd be very surprised if they got shook up more more so than maybe a team here or a team there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, I think with the exception of the Lakers and the Knicks, there really haven't been those like surprise teams. I guess if if you were really low on Chicago, but like like I Chicago one is was, the one I think I would say. One. Yeah. But like but at the same time, you know, it's not like they're a young team that's playing above its head. It's just like, oh, maybe we just underestimated these really talented veterans, you know, abilities to play together. Um but yeah, I mean I think for the most part, you know, the, the bottom six in each conference are probably about what we expected and maybe not in that order. Uh, I guess Minnesota's still, you know, the the team that's been surprising in a negative way. No, I'm not um, surprised at all. I, I, I mean, people need to get over this. I had a buddy of mine text me, like, super disappointed. And Timberwolves, like, really? If they double their wins from last year, they're still not even close to being historically a right, playoff exactly. team. And who doubles their wins? Who, I mean, if they add 20 wins to last year's total, which would put them at 36, that team's not making the playoffs. And how many teams you can probably count on one hand over the last 20 years that have improved by 20 games the season before? I mean, that is a tremendous right. leap. Well, I mean, it's, you know, and that's the same. And they, they still have the same players. Yeah. That's, that's the other that's thing. That's the thing. It's, yeah, I mean, like the, the Cavaliers, I think, went plus like 30 or something when LeBron came right. back. But that's different. You know, that's, that's totally different um, when you're really not adding anyone to this core. Um, you know, obviously Chris Dunn, but Chris no, Dunn is not a LeBron James no impact type of player. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, everyone improves, but it's tough for the entire roster to improve and, you know, Towns and Levine and Wiggins to all take these huge steps, which the weird thing about Minnesota is, I think I've said this before on the pod, is like you, you look at the box scores, you watch the games, like these guys are putting up huge numbers, but it's just not translating to wins. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've like been It's not preach- like anybody's playing badly, really. I've been preaching this all season. I mean, if you look at last year's box scores, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And Carl Anthony Towns was a revelation. Um, but did that translate to wins? No, it, it didn't because this group of guys collectively needs to figure out, you know, where to trim some fat here on the box score and, and you know, what to do moving forward to actually get a W. And that, that takes time, especially when you're adding a new coach. But for people to think that, you know, they were going to improve by, tw- like, it would, it would have to be more than 20 games to think that they were going to improve by 30 games with having the exact same core of guys and and don't act like Chris Dunn is, is a major addition because every team receives a rookie somewhere in his same you know ability to play in a rookie in a rookie season so well it's rare too that like even if you receive like you know a godsend rookie like Carl Downs like you, you go and right. win seven, you know, it doesn't mean like you just start games. winning immediately um, yeah yeah, but, I mean, Wiggins, Levine, and Towns have all played well. They're all shooting really well. They're all averaging. I mean, Levine is the low scorer among the three at 19 a game. He was up over 20 last week. Uh, the big thing for me, though, is the point guard play. I mean, they, Rubio and Dunn, people will defend Rubio to the death, man, but these two these two have combined to start all 12 games at point guard, one or the other. They're shooting 33% from the field and 26% from three. Yeah, I mean, no surprise. Not that they're shooting a ton, but still. Ru- I mean, that's that's right up no Rubio's production. alley, and for any 
uh, I almost said freshman, but for any rookie point guard, that's just going to be the case. I mean, look at Emmanuel Moutier's uh, stats from last year and then just, you know, I mean, carry it over to mm-hmm. Don. It's, it's, it's not shocking to see this. And so, yeah, it's, it's a major uh, area of concern, but that's why this team is still young. And that's why they're exciting is because this core group of guys gets to mature together over the mm-hmm. next few years. The, the exciting and sexy thing about them coming into this year was not that they were going to jump into the playoffs. It's that, you know, we're going to get a little taste and we're going to watch these guys mature and that we're going to see the base level, um, you know, however they finish up and they're always going to be improving. That's the sexy, interesting thing about this. It was not that they were instantly going to be a playoff team because they were young. It just it made no sense. Um, I, I mean, there were some reports over the weekend and these were like very, very not sketchy, but just, you know, not even really reports, just kind of rumors, I guess, that the Wolves have been poking around, looking at some veterans, you know, guys who Tibbs is familiar with. Lou Dang was the name that came up most. Um, I mean, would you be in favor of them adding someone like him? I, I think you'd obviously have to look at what they're giving up. The contract for Dang, I don't know how Minnesota really, you know, kind of factors that in. It's not great. Uh, but obviously they wouldn't be keeping him long term. I think if you could work something out there, I mean, what do you package like Shabazz and like Tyus Jones or something? Would that be enough? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm looking up and down Pekovic this roster. Contract might have to be involved. I don't know. Yeah, Pekovic is already ruled out for this season, of course. I, John Lucas is kind of like the mentor on this team, surprisingly enough. And I mean, it's great. Yeah, but he's you the actually, only player over thirty, right? And you, I mean, oh, oh, sorry, Brandon Rush too. Yeah, Brandon Rush as well. But again, it's not like. Gosh, it's almost like you almost wish Kevin Garnett didn't retire. But you still need an on-court leader. I mean, there's there's something to be said about somebody on the court doing it with you, showing it, and, and leading by example, and not just essentially like being one more coach who can't actually get out there and step and mm-hmm. show you out. So I, I think that's probably needed for this team, at least over this year and next year, to have somewhat of an on-court leader. Um, and maybe it doesn't need to make sense from an X's and O's standpoint, but more so just like a teach. But here's the thing. Like you've got up and down this roster. Like You'd like to have that for every single position or something like that, like maybe three at each position to do that. I, I mean, what's the most important need here? Is it, It's probably, I would say, small forward. So like Luol Deng to come in and mentor, mentor Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine. Uh, he, can only, I mean, he can only add so many of those guys to your roster. Yeah, yeah, and you know, obviously with veterans, you know, the cost is something you have to factor in. Um, I mean, this team isn't overly deep. That's a, that's another issue. You know, we you like the top four with Wiggins, Towns, Levine, and and Jang, and you know, I guess the the combination of Dunn and Rubio, like the fact that they kind of overlap as far as like their skills and their deficiencies isn't great. Uh, but you know, I mean, you could do worse than having an asset like Chris Dunn on your roster. But beyond that, it's you're kind of asking a lot of Bielitsa, who's been you know. 35% from three, like that's fine, I guess, but probably a little bit lower from, from someone like him who you're relying heavily on for that specific production. Shabazz, you know, not playing a ton of minutes, which I guess with Tibbs isn't all that surprising, but he's he's played well when given the opportunity. Beyond that, it's, you got Cole Aldrich, who's okay as a rim protector, and then really not much depth beyond that. Yeah, I, I wish they would package Ricky Rubio and Pekovic for a deal um, and bring in, you know, I'm not looking at the numbers, and I don't really care, but somebody like a Joe Johnson who's going to be able to play out there. He's going to be able to mentor. He's going to be able to show. I, I think that, you know, like Tyce Jones isn't bad. When he gets time on the court, like he does some stuff where I would rather have the combination of Dunn and Jones figured out together over the next few years because this whole team, like we were again, we were fooling ourselves if we thought this team was going to contend for the playoffs right away. So it's okay that Dunn and Jones are going to have some rookie mistakes or some young mistakes over the next couple of seasons. They'll mature together. I'd much rather have Dunn and Jones in my backcourt for the next four to five years than Rubio and Dunn or Rubio and Jones or you know what I, I'm out on Rubio I'm not, I'm not in on Jones at all but yeah I'm out on Rubio but too. only as your backup who's seeing 14 minutes a game yeah. I, I just don't think he's good but I mean he is also in his second year and barely played last year and he just happened to go to Duke which you know if I remember correctly might have uh, knocked off our beloved Wisconsin Badgers sure. in the national title game, so I'm not sure that has nothing to do with it. Um, Looky here, Wisconsin win. Let's let's focus on this year. Wisconsin beat Tennessee, so you know when God. we're recording this. Thank God. Um, okay, so the Timberwolves we mentioned as you know a bad surprise in the West. Uh, the Lakers were a good surprise, but like we said, beyond that, things are kind of falling into place. Uh, did you watch Bucks Warriors on Saturday? 
I saw some highlights. It's really funny that the Bucks just continue to give the Warriors fits. Yeah, I mean, maybe Charles Barkley was right. I think he said back in like August that the only team that could beat the Warriors in a playoff series was the Milwaukee Bucks. So obviously the only time that they'll be able to play in a playoff series is the NBA Finals. So I guess <laughs> we can just fast forward this one to June. Um, but no, I mean, they, the Warriors for... To their credit, like this, this game was controlled by Golden State. You know, it was close at the end, but Golden State was up for you know by double digits for like over half of the fourth quarter. It was never really all that close uh, in the second half. But then, the Golden State got a little bit careless toward the end. Um, Curry had another b- behind the back pass out of bounds. Like you think you would learn your lesson after the finals uh, with that. Uh, but at the, at the same time, I mean, some credit goes to Milwaukee for, for closing that game. But I don't know if you saw the end. I mean, the Bucks had a chance down two, I believe, uh, late in that game. Couldn't get the ball in, out of bounds. Tony Snell made a horrible entry pass uh, into Giannis that Draymond Green pretty easily poked away and stole, and that was pretty much it. Let's say that the Warriors um, feel like they need a better rim protector. They need to solidify something. What do you think they could get in return for Patrick McCaw right now? I'm almost to the point where, like, McCaw is good and he, he could be a solid NBA player, but the hype around him is so high right now. I feel like a team, and maybe like a, a team that hasn't made good decisions in the past, would overpay for somebody like him Kings. quite a bit. And yes, I'm talking about the Kings, essentially, or the, or the Nets or something. But I, I feel like the hype might be a little too high on him. And a lot of his potential negatives might be hidden in a team like this. Whereas you look at Chris Dunn, and he's just incredibly exposed right now. Or Emmanuel Moutier from yeah. last year. I keep bringing him up. But um, I, I think the hype is very real right now. And the Warriors might actually benefit from a veteran um, over the next couple of years than they would from a Patrick McCaw. And especially given that like people are ready to ride in McCaw as like, a top-five rookie. And I don't think that that's the case at all. Yeah, I think he definitely benefits from playing in this system. I think it makes anyone look better. Harris, I don't think they Harrison want to move Barnes, him. Harrison right. Barnes. Exactly, sure. I think they don't want to move him because he's so cheap. And it's like, you know, I think they have a lot of faith in their internal development, and you know, rightfully so, given how they've how they built this team prior to Durant. Um, so, I, don't, I mean, I don't think they would move him. I mean, I, I guess if somebody made him, like, a crazy offer, uh, sure they would. But it's also hard to, tr- like, trade a veteran for a rookie contract-wise. You know, you'd have to package someone else with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see who they could package. But I'm assuming Vergeau is still on a fat contract. And so something like a McCaw and a Vergeau for somebody who would solidify, I don't know, off the bench or rim protection, some something like that. Maybe bring back the Larry Sanders right. well, talk. Well, Vergeau's on a minimum deal, too. That's that's the thing when you build these oh, teams. Okay. Like, you're so limited in terms of what you can do, like, in season. I mean, the Heat always found that same issue. You know, you're just kind of finding these loopholes and these veteran minimums and you're very, very limited in what you can do. Guys willing um, to go on major discounts, of Right, course. but, I mean, it works both ways, too. It's like, you know, David West shouldn't be on this team, you know, but he's willing to take a major pay cut to do it. Um, Jason you know, Thompson. Yeah, gosh, that's – I guess he's on the books, but he's not actually on the team. No. Um, of course, I'm just looking at the salaries right now. He's he's the, let's see, sixth highest player on the team right now, which right. is always funny. Uh, Josh Smith is still one of the highest – paid players on the Pistons right now too so that that happens of course Sean Livingston I mean I, mean, I guess if you're I at think the they point, like Livingston a lot obviously right um, yeah I don't know I mean I it's just I'm just feeling it out there because I, I think the hype is like too much too much for Patrick McCall right now like mm-hmm. if he was on Brooklyn and he was playing 28 minutes per game I don't know that we'd be saying what we're saying about him now yeah I think that's fair to say um I mean so you think they you think they need make a move for a room protector at some point I mean, I, if if Zaza's not working out, the thing is, you know, like they play him for. I mean, they're doing exactly what they did with Bogut. Bogut really didn't play that much last year. No, but it seems like a weakness for them is is, is going to be rim protection. Is going to be rebounding, of course. When they go with a smaller lineup, they're going to get out rebounded. It's going to be tough yeah. for them. Well, that's uh, the thing is, like you look at three of these last four games, they've allowed. I mean, they've won. They're on a six game, six or seven game, seven game winning streak, and they've allowed 120 points in three of the last four games. Like at some point. In the regular season, you can just get away with outscoring everyone and putting up like 120 points per game. Like we saw last year, like that doesn't work in the playoffs. Right. I mean, Iguodala is a free agent going into this year. If you package Iguodala with Patrick McCall, and you they have you to can... part ways with Iguodala, right? Unless right. he's willing to, unless he's willing to take a major pay cut. I think that's just kind of how it's going to have to work. Yeah, so why not get somebody in return? Mm-hmm. The the thing here, though, and I know I've kind of like manufactured this whole thing, and now I'm gonna like break it down as well but the whole thing here is that 
I think making any kind of trade for the Warriors is going to be shown as a sign of weakness. Right. Like, we're not content with this, like, oops, nope, we, we're, we're a little weak here or something like that. So I know I've manufactured this whole thing, and now I'm tearing it back down, uh, that something that didn't even exist to begin with. But I don't, I don't think they're in a position to maybe right. even make a trade, just based on, like, pride, really, well, more than anything. That. No, I think that's a really good point. You Everything is viewed under such a microscope with this team that – one, you get after every every time they struggle in any way, you, you're going to start to get the, should they trade this guy? Should they trade that guy? Like, I mean, it was like that with Bosch. Like, people were ready to ditch him yeah. midway through the Indiana series in, like, 2012, <laughs> and they, they went on and won, you know, two titles. Um, it's going to be like that for Golden State, too. I don't, maybe they, maybe they never struggle quite to the point that that Miami team did, but at the same time, that Miami team really didn't struggle all that much. They were like the best team in the East pretty much throughout, you know, all of that entire James era. Um, so that's the thing is like every little minor struggle is micro as, uh, is under that microscope. And like a lot of times it's just, you know, we, we expect this team to be perfect and like every other team in the league would love to have the, the quote unquote problems that golden state has right now. Yeah. Cause they're not even problems in the grand scheme of things. No, they're not problems. I mean, and well, the, oh, sorry. The other thing that comes with this too, when you're, when you're this team, when you're 11 and two and you know, probably going to have a gaudy record at the break is like everything is viewed as all right you're 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 tweaking something that's already really good with the potential to get much worse and maybe not that much better you know like if they trade clay thompson and all of a sudden they just start losing games like clearly it wasn't worth it yeah. I don't know. I, I just think they have like more to lose with the move than they do gain because they're already so good. Yep, I I, I completely agree. But I do wonder if they're trying to posture themselves for like the duration of Curry's contract yeah. or the duration of Draymond's contract and like just shore it up and, and go right. with that. Uh, somebody else I want to get your take on because it's about high tide for them to make some serious decisions is the Dallas Mavericks. Oof. And that after this year, Andrew Bogut is gone. Darren Williams is gone, at least in terms of their contract. Dirk Nowitzki has a team option. They could not pick it up. He could retire, which seems somewhat likely, especially after all these Achilles issues he's having. Uh, Wesley Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Dwight Powell, and J.J. Barea are the only players that would be there over the next three years, and Justin Anderson, of course, and then some of their other younger guys they've got too. I'm kind of wondering if, you know, at what point should they say, you know what, we've got a few young guys on here, let's try to build around them, maybe add a couple new young guys, and then part ways with... Who? I mean, I guess you could say probably Wes, Wes Matthews is somebody that would be very valuable on the trade market. His salary is such that you could get a nice young guy in return, um, but obviously take on some a cap hit with somebody who's not going to play uh, because Wes is going to be 17.8 over the next few years. Uh, I think they need to start making these decisions, right, Nick? But I'm just kind of curious what you think they should do because I have a feeling Mark Cuban is going to hang on to the very last second until he yeah. knows that, it, you know, you know, everybody in his circle is telling him to move on because he's he, traditionally yeah. he has not tried to rebuild in any kind of way. Right, it's very prideful in the the product, I guess, that he puts on the court. And why not? It's been it's been no, good it's, for fine, what yeah. fifteen years. Yeah, well, the thing is, Dirk, like that's the real problem here. If Dirk had retired prior to this season and they were two and ten at this point, you wouldn't really think anything of it. But you have this kind of, in some ways, an obligation, I guess, to Dirk. You know, to you know, not undermine his legacy and what he's done and sacrificed for this franchise. Um, so I, I do think it's going to get to the point where they'll they'll say like, "Hey, we'll trade you if you want," and he'll probably say no. Um, I mean, this came up like two years ago, I think, too, didn't it? And, yeah. and Dirk basically said no. Um, and I, I think both sides are pretty much on the same page. But yeah, I mean, this team of all years to like bottom out, and I don't think they're doing it intentionally. Like, this is the draft for it, I guess. I mean, if you look, the Mavericks have like the worst draft history. Uh, of any team and it's kind of been covered up by the fact that Dirk has been there for so long and they've been so good outside of the draft like they have not really had a good draft pick since like Jason Kidd and Dirk you know if you want to count that even though they didn't necessarily pick him uh is an exception but I mean since then like it it's just like name after name I, I mean 99 second round pick Wang ZZ and the other thing is they didn't have first round picks or their late first round picks in a ton of these years so it's not like they're whiffing at the top of drafts right. but I, like who's the last like impactful Dallas Mavericks draft pick? Like, is it Josh Howard in '03? Yeah, I was gonna say Dirk. Well, it's like I mean, this year AJ Hammonds, D leaguer, second round pick. I guess Justin Anderson at the end of last year is like okay, bo- rotation guy. I guess they traded the pick in 2013, traded their pick in 2012, 2011. You get Jordan Hamilton at the end of the first round. He's out of the league. 
Year before, they didn't have a first-round pick. Year before that, B.J. Mullins, who I ended guess up getting they didn't traded. E- they didn't even draft Dirk, right? He was drafted by Bucks, somebody else. Yeah. yeah, he was drafted by the Bucks, and then They uh, technically took uh, Tractor Trailer and, that's and then right. traded him to Milwaukee. Yes, that's um, right. Yeah, so it, it, they don't have a good history of draft. Like, that's kind of like all this is kind of caught up to them. I mean, they've built through free agency literally more than any other team yes. uh, in, in the league. So, you know, and again, they haven't really had these these high draft picks to kind of to kind of balance with their free agency building. Um, but now we're finding out that as your core ages, they have like, they don't have like a new guard coming through because they haven't been, you haven't really been like nurturing any young players. And I think some of the talk to hide some of those problems has already started. I've heard some things filter out that Dwight Powell is the next jerk. And I like, maybe because he's going to okay. start at power forward, Who, but somebody leaking that information. Yeah. Seriously. He's actually just been playing bad for three years, but we know. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like Justin Anderson, again, like these guys are solid. They'll be in the league for a while, but Justin Anderson, Dwight Powell, uh, they, I mean, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, those can't be like your yes, second and third best It is best the players. unsexiest. Those be like your eighth and ninth best players. Yeah, young core. When you look around the league, when you look at Bad. Utah's, Lakers, uh, Minnesota, and Denver, when you look at those teams, and they've got some. Well, the thing really about Dallas now is like, who? Do, what's your pitch to a free agent? Like, come play with Harrison Barnes. Well, I mean, what worked for DeAndre? I mean, it wasn't long ago that that I well, that, mean, that was when they had Parsons. You know, West was coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, Dirk was still looking really good. My point here is that, you know, maybe I guess I'm looking at Denver because Denver has so many assets, but I don't think they necessarily need a West Matthews because they're already so they're already so uh, solid at shooting yeah. guard. But I, I just don't know that this team needs West West Matthews over the next. I don't know years. that Dallas is trying to trade him even. You know, like. I think they should think about it. They should, but like, what can you get back for West? Like, you're, you're, you're at best, you're getting like a B asset, you know? Well, ideally, like, like unfortunately, they're not Minnesota where your team is struggling, but you have this awesome asset in Kevin Love who you can flip and like, you know, kind of jumpstart your rebuild. Like, Dallas is just struggling with like average players that you can't really get a whole lot for. What I mean, in a vacuum, what's the best young player in return? I don't care about contracts, but just like that somebody would go for Wes Matthews. Like, could we? Uh, I mean, it would have to be a contending team, you know, that would view Wes as kind of like their their missing piece or their final piece. I don't know. I mean, like, Patrick, Patrick McCaw. would love to have Wes Matthews. I just, you know, what are you going to get back from them? Probably nothing. Right. Like, could you trade somewhere. Patrick McCall straight up? I mean, not straight up, but for Wes Matthews? Do you think that there's value on each side? I wouldn't do that if I was Dallas. But, I mean, Golden State would do that in a heartbeat, of course. Right, sure. I'm just trying to find a rookie out there that would make sense because Dallas needs young guys. I mean, they. I think that if you could trade Wes and get two, mm-hmm. like, semi-talented younger guys, that, you know, trading a one for a I two. I think you look for picks more, you know, in okay. this draft. I think sure. it's like if you could flip, you know, if you could, like, flip. Basically, you need, like, an injury to a team that thinks it's contending. Like, if, I don't know, I mean, a team like, mm. Orlando or something, you know, say they're floating around and like, you let's, know, let's bring, Alfred Payton goes down. Like, could you give him Darren Williams and get like, you know, the 20th pick or something for that? Like, probably. Okay. Well, here's an interesting one, I guess, to bring it back home. What if Wes Matthews was on this Minnesota team and he was kind of like their mentor over the course of the year? You trade him basically for Pekovic. You get the Minnesota pick because I'm not so sold that Minnesota needs another draft pick. In, in the group of guys right. they have now. So, you you know, you, you get Wes, you get a guy that's going to help you over the next four years, mm-hmm. um, and then he mentors. Minnesota is going to be a high pick. I don't know that Minnesota needs another. Like, where would they even draft? No, that's interesting. That's a good way to put it. Uh, that's That makes kind of a lot of sense. I mean, if you could do – you'd probably have to give up someone else, you know, for money reasons. Like, But, yeah, if you could do, like, a first-rounder and I don't even know, like, would you give up, like, Cole Aldrich or something – to get Wes, like I think that's a guy. I mean, if they're looking at Luol Deng, they should be looking at Wes, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I think you get a little more value with Wes. You get right. maybe a couple I think a lot of years is supposed more to be value. The familiarity with Tibbs, and that's what Deng kind of brings, I guess. But Wes is probably a better player and younger and on a better deal. Right. So so Peck is at twelve million. Wes is at seventeen. So it wouldn't be that hard to make a deal like that work uh, out. Well, I also think no nobody's like lining up to take the Peck deal. That's the other thing. Well, a team a team that's trying to get draft picks essentially would yeah. be the one to do that, and Minnesota's right. going to have a great draft pick coming up this year mm-hmm. because again, they're not as good as people thought they were. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, the Peck deal only is through next year, so like ideally, you'd kind of want to swap with a team who's like looking to get out of a long term deal of its own that's like you know slightly yeah. longer. 
I don't know. I mean, it's tough. There's a reason that they haven't found a taker for him. Yeah. So we talked about this a lot in the preseason, but now that things, you know, we're, we're tr- starting to figure out where teams are going to end up or, you know, things are starting to slot into place. I don't want to jump the gun by any means, but what's the trade that needs to happen? Is it still Sixers front court? That, like the one yeah. thing that everybody's waiting for, right. it's going to happen. The fact that Noel's been hurt has kind of pushed that problem aside for now. Yes. But you know, once he comes back, I think we'll, we'll kind of be back to those talks. But do you still think that Denver is in that boat too? Uh, like yeah. Barton is back. They've got Jamal Murray had a great game on Sunday. I think he had yeah. 18 points. They, they have too many guys all over the place. Um, I mean, the fact that Jokic is coming off the bench, like that, I mean, that they've had seven different starting lineups through 13 games. Like it's just something needs to happen there. They're, I think they're just kind of ripe for, for a big trade. Yeah. I'm all right. Tra- Anything else? I think, well, I guess the last thing we should definitely touch on here is that Drew Holiday back. He is back. And the Pelicans are looking somewhat good. Of course, that's pushing Tim Frazier. Um, How many minutes? Eh, He did play 36 the other night. So I think think it it might end up hurting Etuan more, you know, more than it hurts Frazier. Because, I mean, Holiday can play off the ball. Frazier really can't. Yeah, Holiday played 23, 30 minutes in his first yeah. two games back, and, and Frazier, yeah, Frazier's still seeing some minutes, was, which is interesting to me, of course, still waiting for Tyreek Evans to come out, and then that would right. certainly push out Tim Frazier. But well, the bigger guy's been pushed out as Buddy Heald. Six and seven minutes over his last two games. Alvin Gentry even came out and said, like, yeah, he's going to be – I think he said the goal is going to be to get him into every game, which is not the most <laughs> ringing endorsement. He did say they're not sending him to the D-League, so there's that. Man, he had a chance. He had the most direct route to Rookie of the Year. He was the Vegas favorite like three weeks ago. Yeah, because right. of playing time, and it just kind of spoiled it. But for somebody who needed four years in college to get to the point where he did – not surprising that it's going to take him a while. I'm yeah. I'm not ready to sell on him by any means, but it, it might take him a few years before he helps out, even in a rotation. Yeah, I mean, he was put in a tough spot, you know, asked to do a lot for a bad team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks like they're almost thinking like, all right, we'll just kind of you know get through this year, and hopefully he has a good summer next year. I'd, not an encouraging start for Buddy Heald, but far, far too early to write him off. That's fair. So what do you think about this Pelicans team now that's – uh, let's check it out. They've got two straight wins over the Trailblazers teams, and yeah. the Hornets. Uh, yeah, two very good teams, really. And um, I mean, I was I was ready to write the Pelicans off. I didn't necessarily think that Drew Holiday coming back was even going to change that much, but I think I'm wrong. I mean, essentially, just benching Buddy Heald has been the difference, right? Adding Drew Holiday, benching Buddy Heald has has made a yeah. world of difference. Yeah, I mean, he's, what is he averaging? Like eight assists, twenty one points, I think, through these first two games back. So. I mean, it's it's huge. I think it's just huge to have like an upgrading competence at at a position and just have someone else out there that Anthony Davis can trust and you know not just have to put your faith in Etwan Moore when when you know certain guys are out of the game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks for Tim Frazier and Tim Frazier fantasy owners, I guess, because I mean he was six in the league in assists. Yeah, coming into the weekend, and uh, I mean eventually they're going to kind of phase him out of of a big big role, but. Um, you know, once Evans is back, this team kind of becomes intriguing. Like if they can go like 500 for the next month, which is probably a little bit too much to ask, but if they could, you know, stick around there, like they'll, they'll be in the conversation. I mean, Davis has done about anything you could ask. All right. Last, last thing I promise earlier this morning, you made a trade in our staff keeper league, um, which you can frequently hear about on the Friday pod with me, Shannon and Ken. Seth Curry for Ryan Anderson. You ended up receiving Ryan Anderson. I like that deal for you. Yes, me too. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, what makes it a fair deal is that there's all these injuries in Dallas. But um, I mean, Berea missing was it six weeks? I think is going to be huge. Yeah. I mean, Curry's going to play a ton. Like, I, I thought it was a pretty fair deal to be honest. I think it was, you know, Adam Adam Wolf is you know wanted to kind of capitalize on on getting Seth Curry, but I just wanted the more established commodity. I, I think Curry's going to be really good. It was it was tough. I went back and forth about it, um, but I I just think Ryan Anderson's good for, you know six three-pointers on one night he does have his off shooting nights but you know he's locked into a big role you know not just for the next six weeks but for the rest of the season which I like interesting caveat to this I don't have Adam's team up but he actually owns Tim Frazier so he might have been looking to get a little more guard help in the Mm -hmm. long run here it might have made sense just uh like for 
roster setup wise, but I do think that Curry has a chance to go off and score, like score assist. I think, too. I think he's gonna I, be fine. I think he's gonna have great value over the next six weeks. It, it just concerns me maybe over the long haul of the season. Uh, of course, where you can have a great six six week window, Tim Frazier did, mm-hmm. but then when it's all said and done at the end of the year, I think Ryan Anderson obviously is going to have the path to more value. But you never know. Like we said, it seems like Dallas has some tough decisions ahead right. to the point where Curry for Ryan Anderson could be you know somewhat equal, and it's it's possible that Adam could have gotten the better at yeah. you. Of course, hindsight will always be twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, the, what I really didn't like about it is. You know, right now I'm last in the league in steals and I'm last in the league in assists. And it's like that's kind of where Curry would have helped a little bit. Uh, but the bigger thing is, like, you know, my biggest assist producer should be Steph Curry. And he's, you know, been way below his career averages in assists. And I've been waiting to get Reggie Jackson back on this team. And once he's back, you know, I think I'll start to you know, hopefully ascend in those categories. Although I'm already like almost 300 assists behind the leader in that category because. Outside of Curry, it's pretty much no one giving me any production there. Yeah, it's unfair. You inherited this team. I inherited my team so, yeah, a couple years ago, team, and yeah. yep, and it, it's kind of tough. You don't quite have the team that you want, and so you, you're figuring out some mm-hmm. some obvious holes there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like Urson and Solomon Hill have not been producing in the assist category like I thought they would. Who would have thunk it? Mm-hmm. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, we're gonna talk with Aaron McMahon, a Pistons beat writer uh later this week i think that'll be on wednesday so with the holiday we'll likely get that posted on wednesday barring a setback we'll get it posted on wednesday um otherwise you know there's sometime thursday or friday but either way that should be fun looking forward to talking with him for sure They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide. In theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.